Welcome to It's a Fair Cop. <laughs> the show where you, the audience, get sworn in to make the decisions a real police officer would have to make as I take you through a real case that I've dealt with. Now, as an experienced officer, I'm here to guide you through the process. As a comedian, do be warned, if you do heckle me, I will respond. It may take a little while. I'm not good with response times. <laughs> uh, now, I'm sure you've all heard of Hull, European City of Culture, 2017. <laughs> That's not the funny bit. <laughs> it's a fabulous achievement, and I think everybody was uh, a little bit surprised. I wasn't, as the whole power base is shifting north. The BBC now has its media city in Salford. Manchester is to have its own elected mayor. And soon, HS2 will ensure that trains will travel at 232 miles an hour from London to Leeds and then horse and trap to Scunthorpe. <laughs> Tonight, we'll be looking at the motive issue of stop and search. Now, if you thought this was a national police problem, you'd be mistaken. It's something they seem to do quite a lot in London. In 2012, the Met and City of London Police between them carried out four out of ten of all stop and searches made in the UK. And as the Met will tell you, that's almost 85%. <laughs> <laughs> yes, instead of Morris dancing or bell ringing as a community bonding activity, those guys get together and just frisk each other. <laughs> Which I have to say, in the North, we do find a bit weird. Some of the people I deal with, I need a really good reason to put my hand in their pocket, even though it's really cold up north. <laughs> in fact, some of our more deodorantly challenged clients are affectionately known in the trade as double glovers. <laughs> now, if we're talking about really difficult police dilemmas, it's when you stop somebody for a drug stop and search and you realise that you've used your last pair of surgical gloves. What do you do then? You let them go. <laughs> now, 52% of police searches are for drugs, and over one million people are stopped and searched in the UK every year. Earlier, we asked the studio audience if they'd ever been stopped by the police. We start off with an anonymous. I had just passed my test. I felt very racy and pulled out of a side road onto a busy main road in front of a police car. The blue lights went on. I switched over from Capital Radio to Classic FM. <laughs> and smiled sweetly, and they let me off. Mm. <laughs> OK, David tells us I was sleeping in a camper van on a lay-by, got woken up by the police, and was warned it was a docking hot spot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean warned, David, or reminded? <laughs> I've been stopped by the police, Laura says. While in uni, I was studying for a test with my boyfriend. It wasn't a biology test, she tells us, in a car park behind a small store. We found ourselves surrounded by four cop cars. Little did we know this store had been broken into twice in the past few weeks. This was in the US, and there was the added excitement of the possibility of getting shot. <laughs> Where's Laura? Well, you're white, Laura. Relax. <laughs> nothing to worry about. Later, I will be giving the prestigious Fair Cop Award to the best audience copper. Time to swear you all in. Please, all raise your right hands and repeat after me. 
It's not mine, officer. I was carrying it for a friend. <laughs> Are you ready? It's not mine, officer. Very good. Right, you are now officially sworn in as cops for the night. Time to start tonight's real case scenario. It was a typical Tuesday late turn, 7pm. I've called at the chip shop and got a steak pie, chips, peas and extra gravy. <laughs> Whenever a cop goes to the chip shop, there's always a 50-50 chance someone will tap you on the shoulder and say, caught you, eating on duty. And I'm like, caught me? What do you mean, caught me? I work 10-hour shifts. Have you tried running after a gang of highly trained, very dangerous, machete-wielding bank robbers with low blood sugar? <laughs> Since the cutbacks, we've actually scrapped the fitness test now. Well, they're encouraging us to put on weight, so it looks like we're double crude. <laughs> so I'm just leaving the chip shop, and suddenly I'm aware of a pungent, distinctive smell of cannabis, like really strong. I glance along the queue. There was a 20-something smartly-dressed white male, an elderly female, and a black teenage male wearing a dark hoodie. As we glance at each other, we're all thinking the same thing, I can smell cannabis. Well, they were thinking, I can smell cannabis. I was thinking, my pie's going cold. <laughs> cannabis is currently a Class B controlled drug, possession of which is a criminal offence under Section 5 of the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971. Nevertheless, possession is still very common. There will be people in the audience tonight who have cannabis on them. <laughs> Please don't put your hand up, sir. <laughs> I'm technically still a policeman. <laughs> so, audience cops, I'm in the chip shop, I can smell cannabis, do I ignore it and take my hard-earned meal break or do I ask one of those customers to step outside? Who's going to say, ignore it and resume patrol? No, answer me, you're an ignorer. OK. Well, I would say that's pretty much 50-50. Let me talk to one of the ignorers. Thank you. What's your name? Melissa. Hello, Melissa. So you're going for ignore it. Can I ask you why? It's not that great an offence and my pie's going cold. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> not that great an offence. The thing is, how would it look if a police officer knowingly walked away from someone in possession of illegal drugs? So who's going to take one outside? In other words, detain them for a few questions. Who are the detainers? Well, there's not many. A handful of people. Hello, sir, what's your name? Bill. I would take all three of them. Take what, all what three of them. What a brilliant disguise, pretending to be an old white-haired lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you like your crime thrillers, Bill, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to take all three of them outside. Well, I'm sorry, I can't let you do that because it's not practical. And the reason it's not practical is you're single crude, there's nobody else available, and you're not going to be able to deal with three people at once. You know, people can get rid of drugs very, very easily. You're going to have to pick one, I'm afraid, tonight. So, who's detaining the white guy? What's your name, madam? Naomi. Can I ask for your rationale? Because the Met Police are racist. <laughs> <laughs> the Met Police are racist. This is Scunthorpe, so this is your, your way of balancing the... Yeah. <laughs> Equation. Yeah. They're going to stop all the white people. Yes. Well, thank you for that. So who's detaining the black guy? <laughs> <laughs> not, not many. Somebody put their hand up over here. What's your name, sir? It's Ramsey. Actually, it wasn't on race was my decision. It was their dress and their appearance. So you had the white guy who was well-dressed, elderly lady, nothing about her appearance, but there was the youth with a hoodie. So that was where my thinking was going. Other people agree with that? No. no. OK. Can I ask you, honestly... 
Who thinks there's more chance of black people taking drugs than white people? Hello, sir. Good evening. What's your name, please? Peter. Can I ask you what you're based that on? Personal experience. Personal experience? OK. Yeah. I've known more people who are black who use drugs than white people. I won't ask you how you know, Peter. <laughs> been to some good parties by the sounds of it, but that's... Uh... No, that's a fair point. Actually, you're wrong. Statistically, white people take more drugs than black people. Fact. These are official figures released by the Home Office after surveys last year carried out on drugs users. Now, I know what you're thinking. We probably won't get the most reliable answers from people who are under the influence of drugs. <laughs> Fair point. Certainly, whenever I've inquired in a professional capacity, if anybody's taken drugs, they've always said, uh, not me, officer. Which is just what the white guy said to me when I took him outside the chip shop in our real-life case. Well, it's not the first thing he said. The first thing he said is, why don't you search a black lad? He seemed very disappointed by my lack of institutionalised racism and claimed I was only picking on him because he was white. <laughs> racism seems almost expected. Who in the audience thinks the police are racist? Let me sort of count some hands. I would say that's maybe about 15% of the audience. And it looks like most of the white people in the room think we're not. And it's obviously their view I'm most interested in. <laughs> Now, I don't blame you for thinking the police may be racist. Various official reports have said the same, including the McPherson report, famously saying that the police are institutionally racist, as opposed to being a free-range racist, <laughs> allowed to roam free and forage on a diet of bigoted views. Do I mean forage or I don't mean to farage on a diet of bigoted views? <laughs> I'm not racist, although I've just ordered a season ticket for Chelsea, so I'm hoping to qualify next year. <laughs> Enough joking, let me give you a definitive straight answer. I can say without fear of contradiction that the UK police, as an organisation, are inexcusably, indefensively, reprehensively racist. That's a fact. It's official. A recent report by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary says that in certain policing areas, for example, the Mets, you are six times more likely to be stopped search for drugs if you are a black minority ethnic group. Six times. At least the Met are being proactive. <laughs> Listen, they're not sat about waiting for racist opportunities to simply drop into their lap. They're going out there and actively make them happen. It's because these official statistics reveal that the police are clearly targeting minority groups that earlier this year, the Home Secretary, Theresa May, proposed a change to stop search law. Now, I hate to see minority groups targeted, but I also hate to see women making big decisions like that. <laughs> and I say Theresa May proposed a change to stop search law, Mr Cameron actually blocked it. The actual statistics tell us that black people are less likely to be in possession of drugs. That means that the police are actually targeting people who are less likely to have what they're looking for. That's a bit like searching Paddington Bear for honey, when, in reality, it's Pooh Bear who's mad for the honey, <laughs> whereas Paddington Bear, he likes marmalade. <laughs> now, is it just a coincidence that Paddington is a foreign national? <laughs> so, back to our scenario. I'm now standing outside the chip shop with the white guy. He seems a nice bloke, and he tells me his name is Clifford. Anybody think that's OK? I know that white guys take more drugs, 
So I've stopped the white guy. What's your name? Maeve. So you had a choice of three? Yep. It's the best reason you have for pulling one of them out. OK, but wouldn't that be racial profiling? Would I not be discriminating against him because of his actual or perceived membership in a certain group or social category? A lot of gang members carry knives, and the majority of gang members in London are black. Therefore, if I'm looking for knives, I'll just search more black people. Same logic. If we're looking for paedophile evidence, we'd search white older guys working in the media. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so who thinks that's wrong? Gentleman there on the end, sir. Good evening, sir. What's your name? Andy. It's exactly the same level of racism as if you targeted the black guy purely for the colour of his skin. Surely the way forward would have been to actually just use your nasal passages to actually determine <laughs> where the smell was coming from. Sniff the people in the chip shop. <laughs> if you can get over the vinegar. Covertly or overtly. <laughs> OK, I see the point you're making, which I agree with. A short-term gain is often made at the loss of long-term community trust. The power to search comes from Section 1 of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984, which clearly states, unless we have a description of the suspect's physical appearance cannot be used to form reasonable grounds. It's illegal. But the stats tell us it's happening. What? The police are actually breaking the law? Damn right they are. <laughs> At the moment, if a black guy leaves his house in London to go to his dealer's address, it's been stopped, searched so many times... <laughs> By the cops en route, but by the time he's arrived, he's gone through the withdrawal process and he's now clean. So, actually, the Met are just helping. <laughs> Listen, I don't think racism within the organisation is a deliberate, conscious thing. But this report is hard evidence that it's there. This is a real opportunity to find out why so many black people are being searched. So, what is a brilliant plan from the Home Secretary? Search fewer people. <laughs> That's the plan from the Home Secretary and from Bernard Hogan Howe, who incredibly is just one person. <laughs> I thought it was a wrestling tag team. <laughs> Has ordered his officers in the Met to search fewer people. Surely we need to understand rather than just make the figures look better. We can't just treat the symptom, or it's a bit like the man with the ten-stone testicles going to his GP who prescribes him some penis enlargement pills <laughs> just to make everything look more proportionate. Back to the chip shop and my cold pie. Yes, I did single out the white fella, not because of any colour filter, but you were quite right, some of you. The only filter was my nose. I tried not to make it obvious. I was sniffing the people in the chip shop, but I was. And I sniffed out the white guy because he reeked of marijuana. Yeah, I know, Clifford. But we'll now call him Cliff the Spliff. <laughs> I checked him on the police national computer and his only previous police history is a formal reprimand for shop theft when he was 15. I tell him I can smell cannabis, ask him if he has any in his possession, and he says no. They all say no. Now, to me, this is the appropriate use for stop and search, which is a useful power. It gives me flexibility because I don't want to let him go or I've been neglecting my duty and I don't want to arrest him. I think this is a proportionate response. So is everybody happy that I search him? Yeah. yeah, good, OK. So I tell Cliff that I'm going to search him. I give him the appropriate information. If a cop doesn't give you the grounds for his search and informs you who he is, then I would encourage you to complain because he's either incompetent or lazy. 
Collecting stop search data, we always ask, what is your self-defined ethnicity? There are different ethnicity codes, like you'll hear the cops on the telly, they'll say, I see one, white British, I see two, black Caribbean, I see three, orange Essex. <laughs> Sometimes people make up their own ethnicity when you stop them, of course. Either that or I've stopped three Klingons, two Teletubbies and a Wolverine. <laughs> and he got his trousers down because he was full mooning. Now, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act details which clothing I can ask him to remove in the street. I can remember from police training school the mnemonic JOG, which stands for Jacket, Outer Clothing and Gloves. They're the only things a cop can ask you to take off in a street stop search. That gives you a fighting chance of finding stuff, but it's not easy. I had one lady in custody, a female colleague searched her, took a property, we placed her in the cell. Half an hour later, she sat there, lighter in her hand, smoking a cigarette. We took it off her, went back off an hour later, she's smoking another one with another lighter in her hand. And we're like, how is she doing it? This girl needs to be on Britain's Got Talent. On the third visit, I half expected her to be puffing on a pipe wearing a smoking jacket. The legislation also states that I can use reasonable force to search somebody. And some officers handcuff detainees to search for drugs. Although a good tip here is to get them to take the jacket off before you handcuff them. <laughs> Done that loads of time, handcuffed somebody and then said, take your jacket off. Oh, no, you can't, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Quick audience question, just out of curiosity, who would now handcuff him in order to search him? Nobody's going to handcuff him. Some controversy over handcuffing for drug searches. Some officers will always handcuff, as a matter of course, even if the detainee appears compliant. Some say it's against human rights. Others say necessary to stop a suspect disposing of the evidence. One of the most embarrassing things I think to ever happen to me in my police career was during an interview, I said, for the benefit of the tape, I am now showing the defendant police item APM1, a small cube of brown cannabis resin. After a brief tussle, for the benefit of the tape, the defendant has just eaten police item... <laughs> APM1. <laughs> And he was released without charge because he'd eaten the evidence. <laughs> this happens a lot more than you think. To me. <laughs> a much fairer system would be that if we promise not to handcuff them, and in return, they promise to tell us if we're getting warmer or colder. <laughs> With respect to our chip shop man, I don't handcuff him. And in that little pocket in his jeans, I find a rabbit's dropping of cannabis resin. That little pocket is called a coin pocket. Don't put your cannabis there. It's the first place we always look. <laughs> a little bit of shuffling about to the audience. <laughs> now, firstly, I have to be happy that it is actually cannabis. Might be a real rabbit's dropping. <laughs> and let me tell you, I am qualified. I am a cannabis identification officer. Oh, yeah, I've been on a course. It's not that sophisticated. Basically, you look at it and you sniff it. <laughs> I once searched a kid, well, I say a kid, he was about 17, I recovered a small piece of brown resinous substance from his pocket and I said, what's this? And he said, it's cannabis. And I said, that's not cannabis. <laughs> and he said, yeah, it is. And I said, no, it's not. I've been on a course. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, it is. I've paid 20 quid. I said, that's a lot of money for a stock cube. <laughs> And, you know, it was, it was really insistent. And in the end, I said, listen, kid, is this an argument you really want to win? 
Go home, make yourself a stew. <laughs> so, I found cannabis on our man cliff. I'm not even going to consider arresting him because it's his first drugs offence. So, audience cops, back to you. I'll give you a couple of other options. One, issue a cannabis warning, which is a, not a criminal conviction, but it is a police record. Or accidentally drop it down a grate. Who's going for formal cannabis warning? About 40%. Let's talk to the warners then. Hello, what's your name? My name's Jill. You're going to warn Cliff, give him a formal warning. Because he's probably not doing it for the first time. It's just because he's white and well-dressed, he's got away with it a lot. Oh, yeah, he's probably got away with it a few times, yeah. You're going to warn him, though, and that is a formal police record. Well, it's certainly on the police computer, and it's only a rabbit's dropping a case. It's only a little bit of cannabis. You think that's a bit harsh? No. OK. <laughs> uh, you're a hard woman, Joe, aren't you? The, uh... <laughs> what if Cliff told you that he was at university and he was about to qualify for his dream job, helping disabled dolphins swim again? <laughs> And your former warning will say all these years his work will be wasted. Well, if he was taking the cannabis, he'd be putting those dolphins at risk. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Disabled dolphins at risk through drug use. This is what the show... <laughs> this is what we're trying to prevent. Uh, let me clarify that point. Although a formal cannabis warning is not classed as a criminal record, since 2006, all reprimands, warnings and cautions stop on the police national computer until you reach the age of 100 years old. <laughs> well, it's an incentive to eat healthy. <laughs> See if you can outlive your own police record. <laughs> on your 100th birthday, you get a telegram from the Queen and a CRB clearance. <laughs> so, who's going for accidentally drop the cannabis down the great option? Who's going, oh, this lady's very keen on this. Such a nice, quiet lady. And you can wait to get your head up and say, get rid of the cannabis down the drain. Hello, madam. What's your name? Jen. OK, Jen, you're putting the cannabis down the drain. Because I've seen too many of our son's friends and how perhaps even them who might have had small quantities of some object that they shouldn't have had on them, but they're not bad kids and they grow out of it. They grow out of it. So these are your son's friends. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's weird that <laughs> they're all on it, all their mates, isn't it? That's a bit weird, Jen, isn't it? So, are you quite a liberal-minded lady? Yes, but when you've had one that didn't get his degree through smoking cannabis, you get less liberal. OK, so you'd still get rid of cannabis, even though you've got a son that didn't get through his degree because he was on the pot. Well, that's his own stupid fault, isn't it? He's, yeah. he's learnt the hard way. <laughs> yeah, it is, really, is it? Uh, what, what degree was your son after at the time? Biochemistry. Well... <laughs> Just a bit of homework then, Jen, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> Biochemistry, OK, that's uh, going to be an exciting career in the drugs trade for him, waiting. <laughs> so what did the drug user who threw away his university career, what did he become? A reggae DJ. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, OK, well, that's, that's very, very interesting. The only problem with that, Jen, is that to throw it down the drain, you're probably throwing your pension and retirement caravan down the drain as well. You'd be sacked, basically. You can't dispose of the evidence. To be fair, I can see where you're coming from. I'm pretty sure that lots of small bits of cannabis have accidentally fallen down grates during police searches. I mean, sewer rats used to be quite aggressive animals. <laughs> and now they're just chilling. <laughs> 
A lot of cops are not anti-cannabis. Generally speaking, we're not rolling about the gutter on a, on a Friday night with somebody that's had a spliff. But they usually just want to give us a hug. Myself, personally, I think cannabis should be decriminalised. It's a view I've held for years. And let me be clear, it's my own personal view. Uh, some will find shocking, but you are Radio 4 listeners and your idea of a legal high is the Archer's Omnibus. <laughs> Well, I decriminalise cannabis resin, but not skunk, uh, let me add. That's a completely different ballgame. And yes, I know that drug use can escalate towards hard drugs, and these people can get very desperate. I knew a hard drug user so desperate, he ran out of heroin and actually injected himself with Silit's bang. Anyway, he's clean now. <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding, he died. <laughs> so, before we find out if I'm about to resign from the police live on air by telling you that I went for the accidentally drop it down the grate option. <laughs> Let's hear some more of your stop search stories. Elizabeth tells us, I was dancing outside bar 55 in Camden with a cone on my head. <laughs> what, you didn't manage to stay under the radar? <laughs> I thought it would be fun to put the cone on top of a parked police car. <laughs> and of course, the officers stepped out, there was cops in it. <laughs> And arrested me. Oh, shocker. Have you ever been stopped with the police? Chris says, not exactly stopped with the police. I'm a local council in Redbridge and was party to a decision to introduce speed cameras on a stretch of road. A few weeks later, I was driving down the same road <laughs> and got caught speeding. Mm. Andrew, you've been caught with something suspicious in your possession? No, but I used to drive around with an axe, a spade, and gaffer tape in my car. <laughs> Which my wife said looked suspicious. <laughs> Thanks, give yourself a round of applause, they were great, thank you. <laughs> so, let's have a recap on tonight's scenario. I had a sniff at a man in a chip shop in Scunthorpe. <laughs> I do hope nobody's just switched on. <laughs> and he smelled of cannabis. I carried out a search and recovered a rabbit's dropping of cannabis resin. My decision is to issue a cannabis warning. I can't neglect my responsibility, my duty, and start unofficially disposing of people's drugs for them. I shake hands with Cliff. I resume post-haste to the police station microwave to warm up my pie. Just to say, I need to add this, I've given the Met a hard time tonight with their six times more likely to stop search black people for drugs. So in the interest of fairness, let me point out that according to that official report, they aren't the worst. You're 8.6 times more likely to be stop searched if you're black and living in Norfolk. <laughs> 8.6 times. And it takes ages being searched by a cop with web dance. <laughs> and always embarrassing being searched by a close relative. <laughs> it's time for tonight's Fair Cop Award. So let's have a look who are the possible candidates. Elizabeth Cone Lady. Give me a round of applause if you want Elizabeth Cone Lady. <laughs> we had Jen and her uh, DJ son. Anybody want to see Jen win the Fair Cop Award? <laughs> I don't think we're going to beat that. I'm going to award Jen this stock cube. <laughs> That's all from the Fair Cop team. Thank you for listening and good night. <laughs>
It's a Fair Cop was written and performed by Alfie Moore. The script editor was Will Ng and the producer was Alison Vernon-Smith. It was a BBC Radio Comedy production. That's the sound of the beast.